Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are black triangle UFOs ours or theirs? What's it like to have your mother involved in secret government work? What is the Mutual UFO Network all about? Hello and welcome to the 969th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island uh, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben. That was Paul. And today we welcome a new guest on a fascinating topic. Earl Gray Anderson is the Mutual UFO Network State Director for Southern California and is MUFON's chief investigator there. He appears regularly in the media, including the Travel Channel's Storming Area 51 special and on the lecture circuit. He also serves on MUFON's star team and experience the resource team. Earl is also a, compo- a composer and recording artist based in Los Angeles, half of the Piper Gray artistic trio, duo rather. Um, anyway, two of Earl's songs appear in the Indo- in the, in the Australian film Gas Coin, directed by Peter McGinnis. Gee, read your script beforehand, <laughs> It happens to the best of us, Father. So, Earl Grey Anderson, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi there, you guys. <laughs> i got to correct one thing, or my chief investigator is going to be mad, because I, <laughs> you know, I... I, I uh, I, I became state director about a year and a half ago, and uh, I actually, uh, Jean Merrick Delano is my uh, new chief investigator. I, I had to kind of spread the wealth there, wanted to spread the wealth. Okay, so. well, our apologies. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Gino. Um, and he's a wonderful, wonderful chief investigator. So Outstanding. Uh, uh. Well, I guess we'll, we'll we'll hop right into it. So, uh, unlike most UFO authorities, you, you got your start from your mother. So, based on something she didn't think you would remember, so could you tell us the tale? Sure. I, I'd love to. I, <laughs> I've certainly talked about it a lot in the past, too, with, with people. Um, it, it really is my origin story, I guess, if there's, you know, a, a starting point for my interest in, in the UFO phenomenon and all things outer space. Um, when I was five years old, my mom, I'll never forget this, we were in the kitchen. We had this, you know, the walls were painted yellow, kind of bright colors, and Venice, California. And uh, my mom started talking about uh, this strange stuff that she had been involved with. Now, we we knew that Mom had worked for Howard Hughes. She she worked for Hughes Aircraft, the old Sepulveda site out there, sort of near the airport, between Hollywood and the airport there. Um, this was back in the mid-1950s, and uh, that that was, you know, we knew about that. The the whole family knew, and it was, it was interesting, but it, there was nothing anomalous about that. But uh, Mom started talking about how she was taken out by the security team once to the middle of the desert. And she said, well, there was this elevator in this bunker, uh, middle of nowhere. She said, the Great American Desert. I still don't know which Great American Desert that was. It could have been White Sands. It could have been Area 51. I know that Hughes had a uh, one of the he had the first privately owned lab over at Area 51. That that has been uh, released. I talked to 
Richard Souter about this before, who's an authority on deep underground military bases. But uh, I think that mom kind of, she thought it was safe talking to me because I was a little kid. Later on, she said that, you know, she thought that I would, I would never would have remembered it. And that's why, you know, she just, because she had signed NDAs, you know, and some very significant ones, I'm sure. But she said that uh, she got in the elevator. She didn't know how far down this was going to go. She just thought maybe a couple of floors. And it kept going down, it kind of a, quite a uh, clip. And she felt scared. She said that she felt butterflies in her stomach is how she described it. You know, I guess vertigo would be the term. Uh, but she said that when the elevator finally stopped, and it was about a mile under the desert floor, she said, uh, that the doors opened up and that there was a little bustling city under the great American desert. Uh, she said that there were people that lived down there for long periods of time. Um, that there, she mentioned German rocket scientists here and there. Uh, I remember, you know, like Werner von Braun would come on to Disney, you know, uh, Wonderful World of Color or something. And my mom, I remember would, that. Yeah, yeah. Mom, but mom would say, "Oh, there's my old friend Werner," you know. And but she said that they had uh, little cafes down there. She she about uh, she said that there was one that had little umbrellas over the tables and she said that she thought that was so funny because you don't need an umbrella in a cave um now my mom never talked about exactly what she was working on down there but um just observing my mom and 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 her work over the years she uh, uh well she 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 retired from Hughes in 1958 to become a full-time uh mom and a housewife she thought uh she did this for probably up until about 1970 uh but then she began working uh privately uh well she at first worked for an employment agency called Manpower she had her own office here she opened the office in Thousand Oaks California uh but kind of, in a way that was a kind of a front or cover for what she was doing. What she was really doing was she was kind of a, a headhunter for aerospace. Uh, she was constantly getting jobs for rocket scientists, aero, you know, aerospace engineers, uh, for the likes of Lockheed, uh, Rockwell, and, and Raytheon. You name it, Aerojet. She, she was involved with all those different companies. Um, and, and, Recently, I've had a couple of officials who've actually kind of cracked my mom's file for me a little bit, just enough to tell me, yeah, your mom was well-respected in her field. Uh, you come from, you know, your bloodline is, is interesting. <laughs> but oh. then that's kind of all they'll tell me. You know, they won't read any more. That's uh, Because they'll say that the, the, the file is sealed, is what I'm told. <laughs> <coughs> Gee. Okay, well... Why don't we go right to some questions from listeners, and then we'll get into some of our own. Sure. Uh, we um, have been missing uh, Peter Shelley from uh, Bogota, Colombia, one of our guest co-hosts from time to time. And he always sends in really good questions. Ben, if you would, please. Sure thing. And the question is, uh, please ask Earl uh, one. There's two questions. So we'll start with the first one, because that's a very good place to start. Uh, Paul shared that um, UFON has recently indicated no paranormal uh, will be permitted in reports. Uh, what is the dividing line between the paranormal and UFO phenomena? And what is the backstory behind this decision? 
Hmm, wow, we went right to <laughs> right to the <laughs> meat and potatoes question. here. Yeah. Well, um, MUFON's mission statement is the investigation of UFOs for the benefit of human of humanity. And uh, paranormal is is kind of its own distinct thing. Now I know that that Steve Hudgens, who is our director of investigations, uh, that he believes that the paranormal is real. Uh, I mean, many of us at, at MUFON have have even worked in paranormal areas, but I think that they want MUFON to be focused on the, you know, on on, on UFOs and, and and that whole phenomenon. And they're not saying that the paranormal isn't real. Uh, I've personally seen things that I. I would consider paranormal myself and and also you know people who have been abducted or have been visited by entities oftentimes will uh, have what I guess best could be described as as poltergeist like activities that that happen afterwards you know I you know things will fly off shelves uh, lights will turn off and on television will turn off and on change stations I mean it can be very spooky uh, and I, uh, so I think that there's a fine line there and, and you have to recognize that. But I, I think that the main thing is, is that, that MUFON wants to designate itself as, as a serious scientific organization that uses a scientific method. So when we bump into something that would be considered paranormal, I mean, my feeling about the paranormal is, is we have to expand our ideas of what normal is. It's para nothing. It's, it's part of this thing that we call life and existence. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, uh, I mean, if, if you'd shown a cell phone to Leonardo da Vinci or somebody, they would have thought that was paranormal. They would think that was witchcraft at one time. And, and as we know, it's just, you know, high technology. Well, Da Vinci would have wanted to have known the phone number. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, you know, anyway, I hope that answers your, this gentleman's uh, questions. I, I have no problem with, with paranormal stuff. It's just not what MUFON does. I mean, I'll have people uh, sometimes call and they'll want me to investigate their, their ghost sighting or, you know, they'll... Uh, Start talking about something that sounds more like uh, like demon oppression than than visitation from from extraterrestrial life, you know. And what I'll usually do is I'll probably I usually send them over to you, Paul. Is what yeah. I do. Now Paul's got two hats. He he handles the paranormal as well as this strange uh, UFO phenomenon. Well, I'm the guy who thinks demons are actually aliens. I mean, <laughs> and they're Switch and that's label, funny. Right? Official them, you know, that's a problem with them. Some of them think that aliens are demons, and that's why they. Well, they, with my seminary background, that's what people think. I think. Yeah. Anyway, we have another question well, from Peter. Oh, no, go go ahead, Eric. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I mean, I never even talked about, I mean, my mom, another thing that, that happened with my mom and what led me to, to be so interested in this is that my mom said that there was such a thing as extraterrestrial life. That was another little, you know, blip <laughs> that she gave me that haunted me all my life. And, uh, and, and I kept asking her and questioning her about it. And, um... Uh, when I was in fourth grade, I went and I did a little 
essay <laughs> in oh, front of gee. my class um, and talked about, you know, it was what does your mom do and what does your dad do? And I talked Uh-oh. about my dad, who was a landscaper, and then I talked about my mom, who used to work in a deep underground military base <laughs> and said that ETs were real and the government knew that they were real and, and here. And uh, so the teacher called uh, for a parent-teacher conference. My mom <laughs> came in. I was 10 years old, and we're driving home. I'm driving home with my mom after the conference. You know, she was talking with the teacher while I was playing on the playground equipment. And I'll never forget, because on the way home, she said she wasn't mad, but she said, uh, you know, son, uh, people out there don't know about this, what, what I told you. And she said, my my." God, how do you even remember that? She said, you were just a baby when I told you about this. And she said, you know, that your mom could could get into really, really bad trouble. Your mom could go to prison if you talk about it. So you can't ever talk about this again. And for God's sake, not at school, you know, and not in front of your class. But that was kind of the initiation for me in, in this whole realm and what led me to become a MUFON field investigator and, and now, you know, that I, I am the state director of Southern California, which I'm very proud of. We're very oh, yeah. busy here. Oh, so yeah. next question. I just wanted to get the second half of, you wanted my origin story and I, I only gave you like the first half of it. Hey, you know, it was, it was worth the wait. Um, so, the, so the second question is, are there any abduction cases you've dealt with where the entities appear to have a goal other than collecting human reproductive material? If so, can you give any interesting examples? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I think Paul is probably aware of this as well. We, uh, we've seen a sharp decline in the uh, DNA farming that was so prevalent, you know, up through... I don't know, even up until maybe six years ago when I I first got into the, you know, joined the ERT, uh, we would still get quite a few DNA farming cases where the person would be paralyzed, they would take blood or semen or uh, ovum from if it was a woman, and, and that seemed to be the main, uh, the gist of what was going on. Uh, what we see more of now are people are given teachable downloads, uh, they're given sometimes arcane knowledge. Uh, I had one police officer who was abducted from his cruiser while on duty. And he had to explain this to his uh, oh dear. other, you know, uh, colleagues. Uh, because he was not, he said, uh, yeah, I don't lie. I, I had to tell him what happened. And, and there was a joke around the police station, leave it to you to get abducted while on duty. <laughs> but for him, he, he had this uh, download of high mathematics. He believed that it had something to do with zero-point energy. And, uh, and this took place over a month. Every single night he'd go to sleep and he would have a hyper-real dream. With And, and it's funny, you know, I mean, and I... And I don't think that this is the way that ETs, I don't think they're in a schoolroom teaching us, but this was the mental image that he was given to understand what was happening. He would see this little diminutive gray hand holding a, a pointer, and, and it was teaching him on a blackboard all of these high mathematic uh, equations. Uh, now, he told me that, he, here's the problem, I was a D student in math. 
<laughs> but somehow or another, over this the course of this month, I, under, I, I understood all of these just crazy concepts, and I think that it could revolutionize uh, the, our energy situation and change life on Earth. Well, after a month, uh, it all stopped, and he was given this telepathic message by the entities that said, okay, this will come back to you when it's needed. You can interpret that however you would like. Now, I don't know when that's going to be needed uh, and, and why this would take a month to do. But uh, this was a decorated police officer. He was all business. He didn't want to talk about flaky stuff. He was very serious about and just said, just it was kind of like just the facts, you know, sir. And uh, he, you know, he wanted to have uh, a contact for somebody that could hypnotically regress him, which I did. I gave him that contact. We we have some of those. They're not part of MUFON. You know, it's kind of out of pocket for a person. But uh, he wanted that, and uh, anyway, that that's more like some of the more recent abductions. It seems like people are just kind of being changed. We hear a lot of people are left with messages against uh, nuclear weapons, against uh, trashing our ecology of our planet, and uh, and it seems like that's the way that that this has changed. It's personal contact, but I think it's more about the soul of uh, humanity. Hmm, that's that's an interesting phrase um, because arguably, if these things are entirely alien, right? I've I've made this point before to to a couple of different bigwigs, um, which is uh, I, I I like to point this out. Anyone who's a list, who's who's been a listener for a while, I always like to point out this essay um, that was written by uh, this philosopher named Nagel, and it was called uh, "What Is It Like to Be a Bat." And it was a, it was basically a study on can we know what it's like to be a bat? And the answer is no. We can know how to be a human consciousness inside of a bat body, but we will never know what it is like to have the instincts of a bat, to fly like a bat, to, we can be like, oh, we can be a human consciousness saying, oh, I'm doing bat things, but we do not know the essence of being a bat. And just like we do not know the essence of being a bat, we do not know the essence of ETs. We can never know what it is like to be ETs. We can never know what it is like to be a ghost. Well, maybe. But we can never know what it is like to be, you know, something that's other than ourselves. And unfortunately for us, all of our experience is distilled entirely through our perception of reality, which puts us at a tremendous disadvantage. Because unfortunately, we, you know, we, all of our experiences inform our opinions on things. And so when it comes to, I'm always very skeptical of, of ETs saying, well, you know, it's for the good of your planet. And it's like, well, why would they care? Is my first question. Is, okay, well, they don't want, oh, they're nice. They don't want us to blow each other up. Well, why? What do they gain from this? You know, arguably, if they're not human, they would have a different set of morals than we do. And I, I, I would like to point out that I, I think it's very strange that Maybe it's because I'm a paranoid person, and I, I just I that could that could very well be it. <laughs> Probably because of your father. It could be, but it's I'm 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 just I'm very distrustful of things that say, uh, well, you know, we're we're there for for your good and the good of your planet, and it, it just seems like if that's if that's the case, then why don't you, you know I 
I, I've, I've made this argument before and and been basically told, well, it's you know, it's kind of the same thing about God, but what, why don't they just come down and, and stop it, do something about it, you know, rather than work through <clears> regular, <throat> you know, everyday people who have no say in anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, uh, my I, my feelings about our visitors, uh, I, I kind of align with Jacques Vallée a lot in my views. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I think that this is the, an aspect of a phenomenon that's been here with us since time immemorable. I, I think that uh, if you look through records... Uh, I mean, uh, the Rand Corporation, which was a part of Hughes, <laughs> Hughes uh, aircraft up until the early 60s, uh, they used to give a pamphlet out to, to new uh, employees that talked about uh, the UFO phenomenon. And it brought up, you know, sightings back in, in, in uh, history, you know. And, and, and I think that if you look at... Uh, for instance, uh, petroglyphs and stories from uh, the Mesoamericas uh, from antiquity. And you look at uh, the stories of the Australian aboriginals. And, and I mean, they're, 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 they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about an intelligence that came out of the sky that was godlike, uh, that gave them language, society, uh, hunting skills in the, uh, in the aboriginals' uh, case. And uh, and you see the same petroglyphs worldwide. Uh, now, of course, officialdom is is trying to rename, uh, rebrand this whole thing. You know, UFO is now UAP. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, the the Air Force and the Navy and else what they're acting like this is some kind of new phenomena that what they saw with the Tic Tac uh, incident off of Catalina Island here mm-hmm. uh, was something new. But I I mean I've got records of stuff like that happening forever and ever out here. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think this is their way of dealing with something that's older than old. And and uh, now what if the E.T. I mean, I use the word E.T. because it works. But, you know, I mean, they may be dimensional. I'm not opposed to the idea of it even being us from the future, you know, trying to bootstrap us to a certain place that we should should be at by now. Mm. Um, or, you know, it may be ETs from another planet. But like Jacques Vallée said himself, he said, if I find out that it's just entities from another planet, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> just, <laughs> just aliens, I'm gonna, you know. And But I think that it's, you know, that alien... The term ET alien is, is, is a good reference point for us, but I don't know that that is, I think that that's just kind of, you know, the surface of, of this phenomenon. I think it goes way deep and, uh, what if they had hand in, in creating us? I mean, that's not out of the question. I mean, they may have been here long enough that they, uh, helped us along in, in evolution and, and now we've kind of hit a wall. We're still acting like barbarians, but we're ready to become like Star Trek with our technology. And uh, there's concern because we're not quite where we're supposed to be yet. Well, I, guess- I mean, this phenomenon might even be a control system built into evolution, just like you have control systems built into your computer software to mm-hmm. catch snafus before they, you know, destroy your computer. No, I guess that's I guess that's a good point. You know, but the 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 I, I always find it 
un- unnerving that you know oh well we we don't have the or it's like it's a technological thing we need to push us forward but as as i've i've heard a lot of people who are much smarter than i am point out that you know as much as technology has changed we as humans really have not and you know yeah. if you take the take the iPhone out of our hands, right? It's just like you, you put a rock in there. You know, not, nothing really changes. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> there's a TV commercial like that right now. Guys in that in a museum looking at uh, caveman holding a rock, and the guy has the same hairstyle, but he's holding he's taking a photo with his iPhone. I forget what the commercial was for, and I don't I don't want to give uh, you know product placement on here anyway. So, but I thought that it makes me laugh every time I see it. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> well, I wanted to uh, if I could back up just just a, a bit. Uh, it was interesting that Ben brought up bats. Uh, when you mentioned the umbrellas over the table in the cave, the first thing that came to mind, maybe there were bats hanging above it <laughs> you know, from the ceiling. Or there. Anyway, on that I note, you would not they like were just trying to make people out. feel at home. Now, right. That's my feeling. That, you know, they had a bowling alley. My mom said there was somebody that they had a barber shop, and the, the guy knew how to do her hair for her. I imagine as time went on, they probably had a beauty shop down there as well. Uh, but well, I think my go. mom might have been one of the early women that was involved in this sort of uh, underground, quite literally, thing that right. you know, officialdom's part of. Well, on that note, let's take our mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM and on various internet platforms as well. In New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, we'll be right back with our great, great, great guest, Earl Gray Anderson. So stick with us. The Woonsocket Board of Canvassers would like to remind voters that November 8th is Election Day. The voters of Woonsocket will be voting on races from U.S. Congress to school committee with three state referenda questions. In addition, there will be two local referenda questions on the ballot. Question 4, an amendment to the Woonsocket Home Rule Charter, regards the appointment of the city solicitor and reads, Shall the City of Woonsocket Home Rule Charter, Chapter 10, entitled Administrative Departments, Article 1, entitled Law Department, Section 1, entitled Created Appointment Qualifications of Head, be amended to change the authorization for appointment of the city solicitor from the appointment by the mayor to appointment by the city council? You may approve or reject that question. Question 5 is entitled, Relating to Cannabis Establishments and Public Use. And the question reads, Shall new cannabis-related licenses for businesses involved in the cultivation, manufacture, laboratory testing, and for the retail sale of adult recreational-use cannabis be issued in the city of Woonsocket? You may approve or reject that question. Knowing your options, early in person or election day, please vote. If you'd like more information on the election, you can visit the website of the Woonsocket Board of Canvassers at www.woonsocketri.org or call the office at 401-767-9223. Local and live at 99.5 FM. And we're back on WON AM and FM, and it's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our great guest today, Earl Gray Anderson. And now, Earl, we have another question for you. Then I'll hand you the whole iPad here. Ooh, technology. Uh, and this is from Todd. I can't remember where Todd's from. Todd from somewhere writes to yeah, us. Mr. Anderson, it starts. Mr. Anderson. Um, 
So California has uh, always the been matrix. Rep- yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So California has always been represented by uh, the complete spectrum of paranormal phenomena. Do you think the alleged USO activity off the coast may be located near some Earth energy or window area? Hmm. Well, I think that we don't have the right term. That may be the best terminology we have for it. You know, I hear about vortices, I hear about, uh, you know, portals and things like that. Uh, but there's no real scientific word for it yet. Perhaps, you know, Einstein Rosen Bridge or a wormhole would be the closest thing. I do know that they, uh, that, uh, Kevin Day had his group, uh, go off, uh, of Seal Beach there. And they had some, they had a, like a very, very, uh, impressive cadre of scientists that were out on this boat where they had monitors. And they saw stuff, detected stuff coming out of the ocean and, and hovering there. And, uh, and we get many reports like that from MUFON, you know, to MUFON as well. And they, uh, they detected gamma rays coming from this. Now that, I guess that you would get gamma rays if you opened up a mini black hole or if you, uh, if you're utilizing mini black hole technology, perhaps even with propulsion, I know that uh, my friend Rich Hoffman with his group, they uh, they put out a paper about the uh, Tic Tac incident. And one of the scientists thought that perhaps this object was using a black hole, creating a, a gravity well. And this object was constantly falling into this gravity well. That's how it reached speeds like Mach 18. Although we still can't explain why it didn't create 18 sonic booms. I mean, the thing was traveling Mach 18. It should have been 18 sonic booms. But I think these things carry their own, uh, maybe they make their own little universe and, and it has like encapsulation. It's very strange, but uh, I know Rich felt like this technology was at least 4,000 years ahead of our own. Yeah. So, but we see a lot of, I mean, I, I have pilots putting in reports. Uh, I had one, uh, uh, one commercial pilot who was on East Catalina Island with his wife and brother-in-law, and they saw this gold sphere like 300 feet across. It was self-illuminated. Come out of the ocean. Uh, this guy was very good at dead reckoning because he was a, a professional observer. He's a, a commercial pilot, and he, he had a run that went along the California coastline. So he said that this object was exactly 10 miles off of the Catalina coast and probably exactly 10 miles uh, off of the mainland, uh, sort of equidistant from both. And it, he watched this thing come up out of the water. It did sort of a crosswise dance, and then it shot back down into the water. In the meantime, he called his wife and his brother-in-law out, and he thought that, well, darn, I wish they had seen this. Well, it did it again, and it had uh, three pair of eyes on it. Uh, I did, you know, talk with all three witnesses. And later on, I found out that the coordinates for this guy's sighting were exactly the same coordinates of uh, where the Tic Tac was first seen. I, I got that from Kevin Day himself. He, he was the strike force commander on the Princeton at the radar deck, and he knew the coordinates. And I gave them to him of this sighting. He said, that's funny, Earl. That's exactly the same coordinates of where we saw this thing. So maybe it is something that we don't have a word for yet. It's some kind of science that is above our own uh, perception of, of what's possible. So 
looks looks very strange to us. It seems impossible, but uh, again, you know, I'll bring up the iPhone with <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci. Right. I don't think it's demonic. I don't think it's you know ghosts, and I don't even know that it's you know the idea of of ETs the way that we conceptualize them. You know, it may be something that is just. Uh, that far beyond uh, our ability of even understanding, but it's there and it's happening, and and we see it. Uh, we we see many many cases uh, with similarities from that area. I mean, I had a boat captain with his crew that there was a full moon in the sky, and then suddenly there was another full moon that was like getting closer to the ship, and these guys were cowering on the deck. They thought they were under attack, and and then it just this thing took off. But it's uh, it's not unusual. It's that little area between uh, Catalina Island and the Baja Peninsula. It's very very active, and yeah. I think the military knows about it. And NORAD knows about it. And MUFON knows about it. <laughs> okay, well we're having an easy show today, Ben. We have another question from Peter. We do, and the question is: Can you explain your knowledge of the ambient monitoring project? Uh, that I'm not. Hmm. Uh, what, is there another name for it? I, you're not hitting any bells there. Um, I actually know nothing about it. Uh, if uh, yeah, I don't. Peter, if you're listening, which you definitely are, uh, if you want to shoot us a little little explanation, feel feel free to. Um, oh, whoop! He's typing right now, and I will tell you in a second. Oh, okay. The, the the wonder of modern technology. See, I switched this mm-hmm. out for a rock. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to know anything. Wouldn't be able to divine. Well, I could maybe I could use divination or something. <laughs> But yeah, you could you could at least you know we could drill a new well that way. You know? That's very true. Yes, yes. But we don't have our dowsing rods, so therefore we will not be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I guess I guess it, it it's it's something I'd like to know more about. Oh, he said it's the name for the abductee monitoring uh, with sensor boxes in houses. Oh, okay. I've heard about that. Um, I don't know that this can be monitored. I mean, I've had people talk about building Faraday cages around their beds and stuff like that. Really? Yeah, and it reminds me of Better Call Saul, you know. Where oh, the, yeah. The, yeah the, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Where the brother this... would cover himself in tinfoil, and, and there are people that do that, apparently, and I don't think it's going to work. I think that if they want you, they're going to get you. Um you know, and and I, I I know that that people react differently to this. You know, I mean, fight flight is like the first human reaction for something that we're unfamiliar with. You know, we either run from it or we put our dukes up or we mm. pull. Yeah, I've had people say that they wanted to be able to shoot aliens. There's one guy that was sleeping with his gun. And I told them, for God's sake, don't, you know, if, if you get a round off, it's going to go through the wall and hit your neighbor, you know? Right, yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know that guns will work. I mean, it's like throwing a spear at a battleship, you know? I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. So, You're not some... I don't think that you can stop them, and I don't know that you can monitor it. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think that that's going to work. Well, I think that's kind of one of one of the the hardest things, right? Is trying to measure the human experience and and trying to get statistical data out of it. Which which you know, pe- you know, people like Kathleen Martin, they've done a great job, mm-hmm. you know, getting gathering as much data as they have. It's it's honestly very impressive. The only thing that kind of um, is sort of the one sort of pitfall of it is is it's which I, I don't even know if I'd call it a pitfall. It's just 
I guess it depends on on who you're trying to gather the data for. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah. um, you know, who are you trying to prove this to? It, you know, so to some to some people, all the data is is you know, wow, this is a lot, and you know, there's a lot of really good information here. And other people, it's like. Well, I mean, it's it's all circumstantial. <laughs> like, you know, well, you know I what know. I mean. When you when you have, I mean, the cases that I get, you know, when I first went into this thing like eight years ago, uh, I remember one Australian woman in particular that just said, "I can't believe you're falling for this stuff," and that, you know, it's just rubbish. And the only people that see UFOs and that get abducted are hillbillies. And <laughs> and uh, excuse me, no. You know, I mean, more times than not, you know, I'll be on, you know, I'll be listening to a person's story and it's an aerospace engineer or a doctor or a psychologist or somebody who's a Harvard professor or a local, you know, professor at one of our major universities here. Hmm. Uh, it, it seems like, if anything, they're trying to, it seems like the smart, smart and, and and learned people seem to get tagged more often than not uh, and it's uh, but it, it i think that it's it's just the strangest phenomenon we want to deal with it like humans usually do deal with things and i don't know that you can put this under the microscope that's what i found i mean yeah it's not like we are apart from this phenomena looking in through a microscope but something on a slide you know as soon as you start you know, disturbing the universe, it kind of pokes back. I mean, I mean, that's the whole idea in mm. physics where they had to come up with a bogus word, wavicle, because depending on what the scientist was expecting to see in a photon of light mm. and that, you know, twin slit experiment, uh, if he was expecting it to act like a wave, he would see a waveform. If he was expecting to see particulate action, he would see that. Yeah, exactly. So it's an interactive phenomenon. It's not like the other stuff that we deal with. Or maybe it is. Maybe we can learn how to look at other stuff the same way and and, and have more success in our sciences. Uh, but it's a strange phenomenon. I don't think that you can treat it like, but, you know, you're not going to put monitors up and catch it that way. Oh, as a as a, a follow up to the the uh, the uh, ambient monitoring project, uh, Peter also wrote that it was a special MUFON project authored by project director Tom Dooley on a uh, long a longtime member of the MUFON board. I you know and and MUFON has a big tent and there are a lot of different my my feelings about the phenomena are not the official feelings of MUFON. I mean I the only official. Uh, opinion of MUFON is is that we are scientifically investigating uh, UFOs for the benefit of humanity. Period. Mm. That that that's it. I mean, and that leaves a lot of wiggle room for for views. I mean, I I have colleagues that feel like this is an invasion from outer space that we need to protect ourselves from. Uh, I have other people that think that it's space brothers. Um, I, I kind of fall in the middle, and and uh, I I think that uh, just just observing humanity, we have our angels and our devils amongst ourselves, uh, and and you didn't need the devil to have that, you know. This human selfishness creates bad actors out there, and so it's probably the same out in the greater universe. You probably have uh, something a lot like the way we are, but. Perhaps they've learned to curtail some of their bad behaviors. I hope. 
but yeah. that doesn't mean we're not going to meet uh, carpetbaggers and 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 uh, DNA thieves and things like that along the way. I think that's probably part of this, mm. but I don't think that's the sum total of it either. It's like that's not the sum. The sum total of humanity is that the Manson family, you know? Right. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh- I Sometimes should. it seems like maybe maybe it is, but, yeah. but you know, you turn on the news, but but <laughs> well, that's uh, my I, profession, I, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, I should mention that uh, uh, Earl is coming to us by Skype today. Uh, I should mention that uh, earlier, but there we are. And thank you to Skype. So um, we were we've begun already to talk about MUFON, and uh, everybody's heard of it, Mutual UFO Network. Tell us how MUFON got started and how it works. As you say, it's a big tent. Mm-hmm. It was originally the uh, the Midwestern UFO network, and that was back uh, before 1969. And uh, 1969 Project Blue Book, which was, of course, the Air Force's official uh, gaze into this strange phenomenon, headed up by J. Allen Hynek, uh, Paul Heineck is a very, very close personal friend of mine. You know, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll go out for beer and stuff. That's, you know, Paul Heineck and I. Uh, and, uh, but when Project Blue Book shut their doors, MUFON became the mutual UFO network. This was 1969. And so we've, technically we've been doing the Air Force's job since 1969, you know, 55 years ago now. And, uh, and it's again, you know, I think that our, our creed, uh, the scientific investigation of UFOs for the benefit of humanity is, is a good encapsulation of what we do. Um, over the course of the years, uh, I think that you've seen, uh, MUFON has been tip of the spear. You'll see it in literature going back, you know, that many years ago and uh, I I found MUFON uh, to be the best way to investigate this phenomenon before I was sort of the armchair guy I had the stuff that my mom talked about you know he didn't even talk about you know when when I took my mom to see Star Wars back in 1977 she kind of the dam broke for some reason she just started talking about the phenomena she said son you have no idea you know the the, Star Wars isn't that far-fetched you know the different races, the the, the spaceships, and and all that. She said uh, it's it's a real thing. It's realer than you will ever know. She said they'll never tell the public. They're afraid of how the public will react. Um, and and that's you know it's 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 the the strangest phenomenon. It has it seems to have its tendrils in, into everything nowadays. I mean, you turn on TV and you'll see little gray aliens pitching insurance companies. You know, it's like the you know the. Mm. <laughs> It's just kind of a meme now because it's such a deep, it's it's just deeply embedded, I think, in the human psyche at this point. And uh, But MUFON, I think, does a beautiful job of corralling people of different views together under the same tent. Um, and, and that's kind of what we need to understand this thing. I don't think that any one particular person has all the pieces to the puzzle. I think that it takes a community, it takes a bunch of us to understand this thing. And uh, that's that's where MUFON works beautifully. And, uh, you know, they taught me, uh, you know, the field investigator 
handbook is wonderful. And, and a friend of mine, uh, Ron Rager, had had a hand in writing that. And, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, he used to, you know, he was a guy that did the wiring on the Saturn IV booster. Not Saturn V, but the Saturn IV. And then he worked on Skylab and things like that and, and worked at Aerojet. And, you know, you've got people that are aerospace engineers that are very, take this phenomena very, very seriously. And uh, those are the guys. People. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're the guys that pitch into MUFON and make this organization uh, an excellent organization. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, as far as the, the, the area of the MUFON, that, uh, excuse me, you and I are both involved with it in, in uh, a deeper sense, <clears throat> the experience of the resource team. Could you talk about that? Yes. <clears throat> Um, well, the Experiencer Resource Team, uh, we, we were called the Experiencer Research Team, but it wasn't a good, uh, it was a good acronym, but it wasn't a, a good uh, explanation of what we actually do. Because rather than research, we seem to be more like social workers for people mm-hmm. who have had uh, ET contact or anomalous contact, and, and people will be left with... Uh, PTSD afterwards, or as, as Dr. John Mack described it, um, ontological shock, where their idea and concept of reality is pulled out from under themselves, and they're kind of left there, you know, with, without a center of balance. And that's where we come in. We, we listen to them. We're non-judgmental listeners. And, uh, and if the person has a burning desire to, to, uh, be hypnotically regressed, to get to hidden memories, uh, we have a list of people that we've vetted, uh, to the best of our abilities that we can, you know, send them to somebody within hopefully reasonable, uh, uh there are some states where we, we don't have anybody that can do that. Um, but we also have, uh, there, there are, are experience or support groups that are out there. Uh, Les Velez has a great one. Uh, Gwen Farrell has an amazing uh, support group that she leads. And, and they uh, do these on Zoom, on the Zoom platform now. So uh, you can attend. It's, it's like being in a meeting with uh, people from all over uh, the, the map who have had similar contact as to that that you've had if you're an experiencer. And many of us that are in the ERT, I mean, the way that I got in, I, I talked to Kathleen because my wife and I had an anomalous experience uh, where our room flooded with light and I, I saw beings and the whole thing. And it, and it was shocking because I was a nuts and bolts guy. Mm, and yeah, uh, it, it yeah. changed my whole view of, of this thing. And I maybe was targeted because of my mom. I, I'm not sure. But uh, there there seems to be a, a uh, interest in family lines and, and certain bloodlines. So, But uh, for whatever reason, uh, this happened. And, and uh, other people were not necessarily taking me seriously. Uh, because here you have a new field investigator and he's suddenly saying, oh, my God, I've, I've met aliens, and it was scary. What do I do? Hmm. Um, Kathleen Marden, uh, I, I, I'd sent cases to her before. Uh, I'd, I had worked on a couple of abduction cases. I contacted her, and uh, we met for lunch at AlienCon. Uh, this was about five, about five and a half years ago now. And... Uh, 
and I, you know, she was really, really helpful. She listened to what I was saying and she gave me other examples of similar situations and, and, uh, and she took me seriously. She didn't act like I was some crazy person. And then after we finished talking, I said, you know, I might want to join the ERT someday. You know, I, and she said, well, what do you think we were just doing? That was an interview. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it was from that point on that, you know, they, they kind of uh, let me in the gate. And I, I, I love I love working with the ERT. I love the high strangeness cases. I, I think that this phenomena is intentionally absurd sometimes. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll have a perfect case and then there will be this absurdity in it. And I think that it's the maybe it's the universe winking at us and you know nudge nudge wink wink, uh, and I, I think that this is, this phenomena has always been here. I don't think it's anything new. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I love being an ERT member. I hear the best contact stories, and they're the you know I mean I, I talked with a gentleman a couple days ago. Um, I, I won't give, you know, let you guys know names or where the guy is, but, but he had a contact experience in 1952 when he was 10 years old and it changed him. Uh, he feels like it made him like a pacifist where the rest of his brothers all wound up in trouble. Um, he actually moved from his hometown to a, a rural spot so that he wouldn't get into trouble like the rest of his, you know, brothers had. Um, and this guy, it changed his life. And there was no, uh, there wasn't talk about abductions and stuff back in 1952. Mm. You know, it's like Bud Hopkins. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess probably the earliest case would be the Boaz case in, in Brazil or, or, or Kathleen Martin's, uh, uh, uncle and aunt, uh, the, the Betty and Barney Hill case. There were, there was no help out there and he said that for years his family laughed at him and he just quit talking about it because he got tired of being ridiculed. Mm. And, uh, this man is 80 years old, cogent, bright as a, you know, sharp as a tack, uh, an eloquent man and, uh, he, he, he thanked me profusely after we got off the phone. He said, you're the first person that ever listened to me and took me seriously. And thank you, thank you, thank you. It means so much. And I, I think that Paul's probably heard that on, on certain cases. I mean, yeah. people, yeah, there's a gratitude out there for those that have gone through this strange, uh, phenomenon, this element of it. It, it, it will, it, it ontologically shocks you. I can tell you that personally. Mm-hmm. I had to rethink my whole existence after having a contact experience. And, and my wife, you know, I mean, she she doesn't remember, you know, she remembers the room flooding with light, and she remembers something hovering over our house, shining light down uh, through our window, but she doesn't remember as much as I do, and she doesn't want to. I mean, she doesn't want to, you know, UFOs are my thing, you know. We were out, you know, in wine country yesterday. It was like, I know UFO talk, girl. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'll try, you know. Of course, you know, I, I couldn't help it at some point, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. but anyway, uh, I, I love what I do with the ERT and, uh, we're there for you guys. You know, if anything that I'm talking about sounds familiar to you, you just go to MUFON.com. Uh, you can click on, uh, report an abduction, report an entity, and it, it, there's a 30 question questionnaire 
that'll get you started. And uh, if you desire it, you can speak with somebody like myself or Paul, who is a non-judgmental listener and <coughs> understands this stuff. Okay, Ben, you got another? I do. Uh, we have not a ton of time, but I, I, I guess 25 words or less. Do you think <laughs> we know more now about the phenomena than we did even 50, 100, you know, more than our ancestors? I think so. I, I think that uh, just the conversation we're having here, you, you wouldn't have had with somebody like 30 years ago. Uh, you know, I mean, there was a big, and there's st- it's still a big question mark, a lot of this. Um, but I, uh, I can see a continuity with this phenomenon, and I think that it's been slowly saturating uh, us as, as a culture. And I think that now people can talk about this more readily and, and not necessarily be laughed out of town. You know, it used to be I'd, I'd go on these shows even six, seven years ago, and they'd be playing the X-Files theme, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, now, yeah, Earl, there's uh, like... Uh, yes. Yeah, you know, just so, yeah, we're almost out of time, but where can people find out more about you and your music, which we didn't even have a chance oh. to get into? Um, well, I'm uh, on Facebook is my main social media thing. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I'm what can I say? I'm I'm over sixty, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm 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 trying to kind of dip my toe in there. But find me as Earl Gray because that's my musician handle. Everybody, my grandkids call me Earl Gray. Um, I'll probably change it to Earl Gray Anderson because people are kind of using the whole adding my actual. You know, last name to my pseudonym yeah, now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was I it, it came down to needing a clever new handle out there in in the L.A. music scene, and and there were a couple. There was one guy that didn't want to book Earl Anderson because one time I didn't have a full house, mm. so we 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 became Earl Gray, sort of like Reggie. What's his name became Elton, you know, and et cetera. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it works because, I mean, my real name is Earl, and, and uh, as a ufologist, we bump into the little gray guys, so there you go. And then the Star Trek. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. What it is. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Okay, well, Earl, Earl Gray or Earl Gray Anderson, thank you so much for a great show. Uh, stick with us if you like, and uh, I will, um, we'll, we'll be in touch off the air as we always are. Thank you, you guys. Okay, so first of all, a very happy Halloween to all tomorrow. In the ancient Celtic sense, you have a happy Halloween by not dying. So everybody stay safe out there. Yes, when in doubt, stay safe. Uh, so look for us at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine. On, that's on April uh, 22nd and 23rd, 2022. That event will 2023. kick... Oh, sorry, 2023. Jeez, I mean, you're behind uh, in a dollar short. That event will kick off the week before that uh, on this show on April 16th uh, when the headliners will appear with us. Uh, we'll be at the Para Expo 2023 aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th to 21st. We'll be among the speakers of a broadcast live from the ship on Sunday, May 21st, if all goes well technologically. Indeed, and you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON AM and FM. You can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, up to and including uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. 
uh, download our show app. Uh, it doesn't do a lot, but it doesn't cost anything either. It's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. There's a link right on the main page. You can browse our books on the website as well, along with those of our guest co-hosts. At our show website, again, it's BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, coming up next week, that's November 6th, we'll welcome author and researcher Jillian Harris to talk about how to recognize people from your past lives. And you can guess that uh, we'll have plenty of pretty heavy questions. Uh, leave you today with a thought from contemporary American author Max Lucado. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. <laughs>